Take your Bibles and turn again to the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. So continue thinking about worship today. In John chapter 4, we've looked at this encounter of Jesus with a woman at the well for several weeks now. We're going to stay there for a little bit longer because I want us to really hopefully get a grasp of the importance of some very simple words that Jesus says to the woman in, in verses particularly 23 and 24. When he talks about worship, now she's the one that raised this issue. She's the one that brought it up. Uh, trying to be a distraction. Of course, Christ in his omniscience and uh, his, his all-knowing character knew that the disruption was coming, saw it, and then countered it with some absolute truth that you and I understand. She just simply said, well, you Jews say we ought to worship in Jerusalem, and, and we say we ought to worship in this mountain, so where's the right place? And Jesus said, place is not the issue. Place is not the issue. You, you worship God in, in Jerusalem in his day, at the temple, and there was a specialness about that in Judaism because primarily that was where the sacrifices were given. That's where the sacrifices were made. And you went there and you offered sacrifices for the atonement of sin. We realize that was not a, an effectual atonement. That was a symbolic atonement of the atonement that was yet to come. But yet you went there and worshiped because there was a specialness about that. They worshiped, the, the Samaritans worshiped there in the mountain because that's where Abraham built the first altar to God. And he offered sacrifices there and offered Isaac there before God stayed his hand. And so both of those are very symbolic and very special places, but symbolic was all that they were. And Jesus is simply saying there is now coming and there is now present a time when it's not going to matter about symbolism, it's going to matter about reality. It's not going to be going somewhere where a sacrifice is offered and, and so you, you worship there because that's just the best place to do it. There's coming a time when there's to be worship wherever you are. And indeed, as Christians, we recognize that we are to worship God in everything we do. We're to worship God in our jobs. We're to worship God if we're in school. We're to worship God wherever we are, in every way we are, and, and everything we do. But there is something unique about coming together as a corporate body and worshiping the Lord. And so Jesus says there's coming this day when it won't matter where you are, but he's not saying it doesn't matter that you don't gather, whether you gather together or not. It does matter. It is important, so much so that the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But Jesus comes to this point, and he says, what I want you to understand is what true worship is. I want you to know what it really means to come before God. I want you to know what it really means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we talked about that a bit last week, what it means to worship Him in spirit, from the innermost being, from the depths of your soul, from the depths of your heart. That spirit, worshiping Him in truth, is in accordance to His Word, how He has instructed, how He has called us, how He has said that He is to be worshiped. We don't worship God just any old way. We don't worship God any way that we want to. We worship God as He has commanded. Now, the, the psalm that, that uh, 
that Matt read a few minutes ago out of Psalm 150, the final psalm in the Psalter, that, that says, praise the Lord with all your breath. Praise the Lord with everything you are. Use drums and tambourines and cymbals and, and dance. and just There's this, this exuberance. There's this joy. There's this totality of worship that the psalms talk about us worshiping Him with. And there is to be a joy, but there's also to be a reverence. I read as a call to worship, Psalm 95. And we'll go back to that in a minute. But come and let us bow down. Let us bow low. Let us see the God of our, uh, of our worship. Let us understand who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. That's a vital thing to do. It was interesting on Friday, on the 8th, yes, Friday, Christianity Today issued an article on their, their email list that I'm on that will be in the late next edition of Christianity Today. And the title of it is, When Are We Going to Grow Up? The the juvenilization of American Christianity. And I just want to read the opening paragraph. It's kind of indicative, I think. The house lights go down. Spinning, multicolor lights sweep the auditorium. A rock band launches to a rousing opening song, and the, the lead singer says, Ignore everyone else. This time is just about you and Jesus. The music changes to a slow dance uh, tune. And the people sing about falling in love with Jesus. A guitarist sporting skinny jeans and a soul patch does the worship set and then closes the worship set with a prayer beginning, Hey God! The spotlight then falls on the speaker who tells entertaining stories, cracks a few jokes, and assures everyone that God is not mad at you. He loves you un conditionally. And that is the concept of many people of 20th century, excuse me, 21st century, modern day Christianity. It's more about a show. It's more about entertainment. And it's more about me than it is about anything else. And I want us to understand when Jesus talks about true worship here, that, that we understand that worship by its very nature is a, is a matter of coming before God and acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. That's where it begins. It doesn't begin with, with who I am and what I want and, and what I can get out of it. It comes about when we su- submit ourselves and bow ourselves before the greatness and acknowledge the greatness of our covenant Lord. It's a key principle, I think, of Scripture that Jesus is talking about here. And I first saw this verbalized by an acquaintance of mine, uh, Scotty Smith, down in, in Nashville. And, and, and Scotty Smith made this statement in just a little tweet not long ago. But he said, God is seeking true worshipers, not great worship. In, in essence, God is seeking true worshipers, not a great worship experience, not a great worship service. Not about something that we say, wow, wasn't that something that we went to? Because in reality, we have to recognize that when we come here, we come here to worship. But we don't come here to worship. Now, now, do you understand the distinction in that little bit of inflection? We don't come here to worship happening. We don't come here to observe worship taking place. We don't 
come here to say, oh boy, I hope it's a great worship experience. But if we're truly worshiping the Lord, as we're going to see Jesus talking about here, then we come into this place not to observe worship, not to say, boy, the choir was great, the sermon was great, the, the, the band was great, the, the piano and the organist, were great, all those things. Not to look at those and say, boy, those were great. But we come in here not to come to worship, but we come here to worship, to submit ourselves in the presence of God, to, to worship in spirit and in truth, to exalt Him, to come from our innermost being, to say, Lord, from our spirit, we worship you. From our spirit, we adore you. And with our spirit, we want to know your truth. And we come before you to know who you are. God is seeking true worshipers, not great worship. I've worshiped God before in, in places where I didn't even understand a word being said. I remember a few years ago going to, to Strasbourg, France, and on Sunday morning we decided to go to the only evangelical church in town. It was right in the middle of town, and it was all in French. And it was very liturgical. It was very you know, in order. But I went there, and I heard a sermon, and I didn't know a word the man said, except every now and then you might pick up a word that sounded like Lord. I didn't understand a word that was sung, but there was a worship there that took place because... My focus wasn't upon the language. My focus wasn't upon what was being said particularly as much as it was just upon Him and, and wanting to know Him. And so we come to understand that it's not who or where or how or any. It's, whether, it's how we come to worship. It's how we come with an attitude and a heart and a spirit that is set on what God desires for it to be on. There, there's two, really two groups of words in Scripture that talk about worship. Now, hear what Jesus said in verses 21 through 24 this morning again, just to hear his response to that woman. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And we'll talk about that more in a few weeks. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must, emphatically must, worship in spirit and in truth. There are two groups of words that are translated in the Greek and the Hebrew language that our Bible comes out of or is written in originally that, that are, are used to, to, to show relevance to worship. The, the first group of words is a word that refers really to a, a more active thing. It's more labor or more service-oriented. Paul uses that in Romans chapter 12. You know chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as well as any verses in the Bible probably. But in verse 1, he makes this statement. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. Now listen to this. Which is your spiritual service of worship. Your spiritual service of worship. These words refer to something that we do. It's, it's something that we give. It's something that we are involved in. And one of the main purposes of worship is you come here in order to give something back to God. Now, you can only do that if you've been given something to start with. 
It's kind of like the old concept of revival. I remember an old preacher when I was a kid growing up, he used to laugh at the revivals being held. He said, we have these revivals everywhere. He said, what we need before we have a lot of revival is we need some revival. You can't revive something that hadn't been vibed to start with. And that's the way worship is. If you don't have something within your heart, if God has not given you the gift of salvation and you know that great glory, you don't have anything to praise about. You don't have anything to worship about. In salvation, we are given something. In worship, we give something. In salvation, we receive from God. But in worship, we give back to Him. And that's why the focus ought never be on entertainment. The focus ought never be on the cultural, uh, if you will, juvenilization of, of Christianity. But the focus must be on Him. There's that idea of labor or service. There's a work involved in worship. And one of the hindrances we'll talk about in a moment to it involves around that idea that most of us today don't want to think about worship as work or labor. We want to think about worship in a passive sort of way. But the scriptural words indicate that there's involvement, there's a spiritual service, which is worship that we are to involve ourselves in. The, the second group of words are, are more from what I read from Psalm 95 a little earlier as a call to worship and referred to a little earlier. And, and that second group of words literally means bowing or bending a knee, thus paying reverence or honoring the worth of someone. You see, the whole idea of worship is a word that comes out of this concept of worth, worthness, worthship. And, and in, our worth of, in our worship, we are acknowledging that there is a worth, there is something worthy to be praised. There is someone worthy to be lifted up. And it cares with the idea of bending the knee. If you go back to Psalm 95 that I read to begin this service, it's, it starts out by saying, come let us sing for joy. Come let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come in his presence with thanksgiving. Let us joyfully shout to him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God. You see what the psalmist is saying there? We are giving him homage. We are giving him praise. We are rejoicing in his presence. We're doing it joyfully and loudly. Why? Because the Lord is a great God. Until you see him as a great God, until you see him as Isaiah saw him in the, in the temple, high and exalted and lifted up, and, and his whole life being in danger of having seen a vision of the Lord, until you see God as the Holy One, the completely different one from us, you'll never worship You'll always have the idea of this, this worship leader in this paragraph I read a while ago. Hey, God, by the way, I want to tell you something that you may not know. No, there's nothing you can tell him that he may not know. You don't come in here and, and make confession of your sin because he doesn't know it. You come in here and come before him because he knows it all. And he is worthy of our understanding and worthy of our confession and worthy of our worship. He is worth something. And our worship must carry with it the idea of worth. The Greek word that carries that that's used is the, the Greek word proskunitas. Proskunitas is a word that is to express an attitude, inattitude, or, or gesture, one's complete dependence or submission to a high authority figure. And, and thus carries with it the idea of bowing down. And the psalmist goes on and says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Listen to what He has to say. Part of worship is praising Him, 
Part of worship is singing unto Him. Part of worship is praying to, before Him. But a real part of worship is also not hardening your heart and hearing what He has to say. Bowing before Him. That Greek word that we use as worship is an interesting word because it has as its root the concept of to kiss. The, the root of that word literally means to kiss. And, and I've told you this story before, but I, it's still one of the warmest memories of my heart with my oldest child, Carol Beth. But I remember when Carol Beth was, was four or five years old. We were sitting in her, on her bed talking about her Bible story that night and, and the study, the devotional we'd done. And, and she looked at me and she said, Dad, what is worship? And I said, well, honey, worship is just, as best I can give it to a four or five-year-old, I said, worship is just sort of telling God how great he is and telling God you love him. And just, just by instinct, she placed her hand over her mouth and she went, Mwah! God, I love you. Now, for a four and a five-year-old, that's a pretty good concept and understanding of what worship is. It's saying, I love you, I kiss toward you, I, I bow before you, I want to honor you with my life, I want to honor you with who I am. I, wanna, I want the world to know that you are worthy of my worship, you are worthy of my allegiance, and I am your subject. And I bow before you completely. I love the title of Robert Weber's little book. Entitled the book, Worship is a Verb. We think of worship as a noun. We're going to go down to worship. But, but Weber in his book makes the case, and it's a very good case, that, that worship from Scripture is not a noun. Worship is not something we observe. Worship is not something we just passively let go by. But worship is something that we are involved in. Worship is something that is active. In entertainment, we are passive. In entertainment, we sit back and enjoy whatever's going on in front of us, but it really doesn't take our whole being to be entertained. We can sit there and just enjoy it. But to worship, in worship, we are never passive, but we participate. That's why it's important that that you sing, whether you have a good voice or not. That's why I sing. Not, not because I think, well, these people around me are going to say, wow, Bill's got a really nice voice. Nobody's ever said that. But I sing because for my innermost being, I want to worship Him. For my innermost being, for my spirit, as Jesus says, I want to express to Him how, how worth he is to me, how worthy He is to me of my allegiance, of my expression. And I want to tell you, I love worship. I look forward to this hour every single week. And I, I worship during the week. I worship listening to, to music. I worship singing along with it. I, I worship in my devotional time. I worship various times. I, I even worship in sermon preparation but I don't, I don't enjoy worship any more than I do when we come together, not to just say, it's just you and Jesus, just turn out everybody else. But when I say, let's join together, let's call ourselves to worship the living God together as His corporate covenant people. Let's worship the Lord together. I love that. I wouldn't trade that for anything. So worship is honoring someone who is superior to ourselves. Uh, sometimes we worship unworthy things. 
and unworthy people. Last Sunday night, as sort of a, an addendum, on the last Sunday's sermon, we talked about idolatry. And sometimes we make people idols and we, we worship them, we give them, we give them praise and we give them adoration that they really don't deserve because they're just one of us as far as people go. Sometimes we worship things and we put those things in the place. Anything that gets in the way of your worship of God becomes an idol and becomes sinful and becomes something that should be destroyed and crushed and devastating, destroyed in your life. But, but in worship, we, we acknowledge and we honor God because He's superior to ourselves. He's holy, holy, holy. He's worthy of everything we do and say. Therefore, Worship is not coming together to please ourselves or to be pleased or, or to be made satisfied apart from anything but Him. Apart from anything but Him. We come here to say in worship, I hope, God, my satisfaction is in You. It's not in a style of music. It's not in the ability of the preacher or, or lack thereof. It's not in what the people around me are saying or doing or how they're singing. But Lord, I come to please you. I come to honor you. I come to look up on your face and experience your presence and know you are here and, and just honor you because you are. Worship is not pleasing ourselves, but it's pleasing Him. It's pleasing someone totally different, someone totally other. It's pleasing the living God. And anything less than that is not worship. Anything less than that is really a waste of time. It's really a, a, an abuse of the great thing that God has given us. So, so our first concern when we come together is to focus on Him. That's why the songs we have focus on Him and His sacrifice on the cross. That's why the, the hymns that we sing, you know, of course you can, most of you know that I picked out most of the music, I picked out all the music today. Holy, holy, holy is there. It will always be there if I'm picking out the music. It's just, it just makes us focus. If you think about those words, it just makes us focus. Before the throne of God above is, is a contemporary hymn written that just causes us to focus on Him high and exalted and lifted up. You, you can't sing that song and think about yourself. You can't, you can't sing that song with all your heart and be distracted by the things of the world. It focuses us on Him. To praise God, indeed to praise Jesus, is to recognize Him as un unconditionally superior to ourselves in every respect and on whose true greatness is beyond our poor power of expression. Let me tell you something. I don't care how much we, we sing with sincerity. I don't care how much we pray with sincerity. I don't know how, much we say pray, how many times we say praise the Lord with all our heart that we can. Our puny, poor vocabulary, our puny, poor acts of worship are never adequate in expressing 
how great He really is. It's never adequate. We are just not capable. But we must always strive to see that He is the ultimate object of our praise. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The thing I want people walking out those doors saying is not so much, boy, there was great music, boy, it was a good sermon, boy, it was a good time, boy, the temperature was just right, none of that. I want people walking out here saying, wow, you know, the God you pointed us to, the Lord Jesus Christ you pointed us to, the sacrifice you pointed us to, listen, you serve a great and mighty God. You serve a God that's worthy of not just giving an hour or two on Sunday morning, but worthy of giving a life to in its totality, in its completeness. Any, any benefit we gain here is absolutely secondary. He is the ultimate object of our worship, and worship is to be our ultimate priority. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Come and bow down. Come and worship. Come and prostrate yourself in the presence of the Lord. Come and know that He is God. Come and know that He is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Redeemer of all there is. Come and know that He is God and you are not. Is what worship is to remind us. You're not the captain of your destiny. You're not the captain of your souls. He is. And he is worthy of everything that we can give him. Boy, when we come in here, there are hindrances. Hindrance after hindrance after hindrance. What are, what are some hindrances we face? I think there are four just right up front, that I want to kind of close with this morning. Four of the biggest hindrances to our worship. Number one, if you're writing this down, write it down in all capital letters. Self. Self is the number one biggest hindrance to our worship. Because we come in here and we say, oh, I'm, I've just had a rough week and I just want to feel better about myself. I want to, I want to really get something out of this. I want, to, I want to see how much I can get out of it. And we, we judge a service by what I got out of it or what I can get out of it. And, and many times when we walk out the doors, we say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. You know why you didn't get anything out of it? It's because your, your, your focus was reversed. You were focused on self, and you ought to be focused on God. When you're focused on giving praise and honor and worship and adoration to Him, then something happens, and there's a secondary benefit that we gain from, that we benefit from, from being in His presence. But if the focus is on self, your, hindrance, uh, your worship will be hindered in every single respect. As I said earlier, in salvation we receive, in worship we give. And in salvation, if we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, then it ought to be a time when we come together and say, well, as the corporate body, we want to lift our thanksgiving to Him for what He's done. And we want to give our thanksgiving for who He is. As we focus on Him, we focus on Him alone. But, but self gets in the way. I remember hearing John MacArthur years ago out of a shepherd's conference. I was at his church, and, and MacArthur said, you know, most people, most people come in and say, well, I didn't get anything out of it, and it's because they didn't put anything in it. He said they come in expecting to go out with a big stein full of blessings, and, and all they go out is with a thimble, but it was a thimble is all that they brought in. 
We benefit from worship when we don't try to benefit from worship. I know it makes no sense to the human mind, to human reasoning. It makes no sense when we say, listen, if you want to really get something out of worship, then don't try to get something out of worship. If you want to get something out of worship, focus on the one who is worthy of worship and crucify self and put self on the, uh, on the sideline, get it out of the way and focus on who he is. But the number one hindrance to worship, to true worship, and being a true worshiper, not having a great worship experience, but being a true worshiper is self. Second hindrance is habit. Habit. And we're all that way. Well, there was, a, there was a variation today in how we did this. I like the way we always worship. One of these Sundays, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to walk in here. We're going to have a call to worship. We're going to sing one song, and I'm going to preach. we have all the singing after it. And some of you will go crazy. I know you will. I, I had a dear couple in my first church out of seminary, Ellick City, Alabama, 6th Street Baptist Church, and, and the Johnsons. They're both of the Lord now, but they're precious people. But the Johnsons knew how to sleep during church. I mean, they were good at it. They knew they loved to sing. They would sing, and then when we would sit down, I would stand up to preach. It was almost on cue. They would go like this. They were gone. So I just one Sunday walked in, had a call to worship, sang one hymn. I stepped up where I normally pray, and I said, now take your Bibles and turn with me to so-and-so. They stayed awake through the entire sermon because they didn't know what to do. And then they had to stand and sing, and they couldn't sleep in. Their whole day was ruined, I'm sure. I love them. But we get into habits. And, and habit can be a hindrance to your worship. Because we just always do it this way. That's the way I've always done it. That's the way we've always worked. And I can only worship God in this one way. You ought to be able to worship God, like I said, where you go into a, a worship service where you don't have any idea what's being said or whether it's as simple as for a two-year-old, you ought to be able to worship the Lord if your focus is where your focus ought to be. Habit can be a hindrance. The third hindrance is laziness. The Puritans called it slothfulness, but I figured that's too antiquated a term for us in the 21st century. So it's just laziness. Slothfulness. You know, we, we come to worship just without any preparation. We haven't looked at the Word prior to coming. We haven't prayed prior to coming. We, we spent the night before up till 3 a.m., you know, having a good time, playing with our friends, doing whatever. And then we come in and we say, oh, I've just got to gotta, gotta worship now. That's a lazy preparation. Listen, there ought to be a preparation for coming before God with His people. There ought to be a, a preparation of, of reading the Word and, and reading the text. You, you know, I, I give you the benefit of you know where we're going every Sunday with very few exceptions. You ought to be able to meditate on that. Prepare your heart for that. Say, Lord, I, I see what I see here. Help me understand more of this. But laziness, passivity, keeps us from worship. Hinders our worship. Come in and sit down. And so many times, you don't, you don't ever say, now entertain me, but you sit there and you say, now show me something. Make me feel something. Help me experience something. And you're not going to experience anything unless you're coming with an anticipation. There ought to be an anticipation when you come in here. What do you look for? What do you anticipate when you come to worship? What are you thinking about prior to ever getting here? Are you saying, listen, I'm going because I want to hear from God? I want to I know the presence of God with my 
covenant family. I want to come together, and God, I want you to speak to my heart, to my life, through your word as we come together. Do you come with an anticipation of God? I'm coming not just to go to something, but I'm coming to be involved in something that you are the focus and you're the star of. It's all about Him. It's not about us. Laziness, passivity, slothfulness. Then a final hindrance. And this may be Baptist's biggest hindrance. I don't know. And I think the other three work pretty good with us. But the final hindrance is this. This feeling or idea that I got all I need at salvation. I got everything I need at salvation. You know, I came. I was baptized. I made a profession of faith. I, I prayed a prayer. I did whatever way it was presented to you. And, and, man, I got saved. I'm completely saved. That's all there is to it. Uh, listen, folks, that's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. That salvation ought to lead us to worship. It ought to lead us to be true worshipers. That's where Jesus is moving this woman at the well, and we'll see that in weeks to come. Jesus is moving her to see her greatest need for him to trust him in order to be a worshiper. You can't worship if you don't know him, but that salvation, that salvation will get everything. Salvation is justification. Salvation is the beginning. Salvation is the declaration. But then there is to be that sanctification, and worship is a very real part of sanctification, growth, maturity, development in Christ. We come to worship. Come and say, God, help me get all of that stuff out of the way. Come and help me put all that stuff aside. Let me just look at your glory. Let me just see your glory. Let me just, let me just sit with my covenant family for an hour in your presence together and Lord, would you manifest yourself? Would you show us your glory? Would you manifest your presence? Would you let us know your presence, Lord? Lord, help us not just to be passively entertained in worship. Help us to be true worshipers. God's not looking for a great worship service, Jesus says. God's not looking for a lot of bang and a lot of glitz and a lot of glamour. God's looking for true worshipers. says He even is seeking such. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Those who worship Him in truth. Those who worship Him in spirit. Those who are true spiritual worshipers. What's the biggest hindrance to your worship? Is it self? Is it habit? You know when to stand, you know when to sit down, and everything's just real comfortable, so I'm in the groove. There's no worship. Is it laziness? Let me tell you something. You will not worship on Sunday morning. You will not worship in a corporate experience if there's not some element of worship in your life every single day. Personal worship, private worship. You're just, you're just too lazy. 
Is it a feeling that, well, I got everything I need at salvation, and now I'm just kind of sitting around and waiting till I die so I can go to heaven? Let me tell you something. If that's all there was to it, God would have done us all a favor by saving you and taking you home right then. If you get everything you need at salvation, if it's all over at salvation, then what's the benefit? What's the purpose? The purpose is that you grow and you worship, and out of your worship flows evangelism, and out of your worship flows missions, and out of your worship flows compassion and caring and ministry. True worship energizes us to face what is out there. True worship focuses on Him, and secondarily, it equips us to be who He's called us to be, His ambassadors, His messengers, His witnesses, His missionaries. There's no actions that our group is gathering right now in the the village of Pacareas and worshiping before they go out to share the gospel by playing soccer with a bunch of kids and talking to adults that come to see them. They're worshiping to prepare their hearts, to prepare their spirits to then go out. You say, I have trouble witnessing. Maybe it's because you're not worshiping. So I have, tr- I have trouble really sharing the gospel with anybody that I work with or live near. Or what. Maybe it's because you're not worshiping. Worship energizes. Worship empowers that which God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we know, O Lord, that you are seeking true worshipers. Men and women who put aside the hindrances of self and habit and laziness and self-sufficiency to acknowledge their need for you and acknowledge your greatness and worship you fully. Father, I pray this day that First of all, if there are men and women here that don't know you, you would draw them to yourself for salvation, that you would open their eyes to see their sin and their need for a Savior. And Lord, show them that Christ is the only Savior and open their hearts to believe in Him. Father, I pray you do a work by your Holy Spirit that only you can do. And then lead those people to worship you out of that gift that you've given them of salvation. Lead them, O Lord, to worship you, to give to you in worship. Father, I pray for we who are here who become lazy, self-absorbed, habitual, and it hinders our worship. God, forgive us for that. Oh, Lord, as we sing this great new hymn, Receive the Glory. From Psalm 115.1.
a verse that we have said for the last five and a half years is our focal verse. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. Lord, let it be true. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.